welcome to Culture Curry. In this episode, we will hear from Fatima Bhutto and also meet the visitors and residents of Shahpurjat village in Delhi. Let's begin by something really interesting. From across the border comes a book that will surely catch your attention. Pakistani poet and writer Fatima Bhutto has come out with a new book, The Shadow of the Crescent Moon. She has also authored Whispers of the Desert, a collection of poems, and she received notable coverage for her second book, 8:50 a.m. 8 October 2005. This week, she is in India to talk about her recently launched book, The Shadow of the Crescent Moon. Fatima Murtaza Bhutto, granddaughter of former Pakistani Prime Minister Zulfikar Ali Bhutto, niece of former Prime Minister Benazir Bhutto, and daughter of Murtaza Bhutto of Pakistan People's Party. So what made her write her first fiction? Where did she write it? Will she ever join politics? What impact did life in exile in Syria had on her? Let's hear Fatima Bhutto speak to Shogat Das Gupta of Tehelka as she answers all these questions. So when how did this this come about? Because I mean obviously mm. the, the the first thing mm-hmm. was was the poetry which was mm. when you were very young yeah. and and then the memoir mm-hmm. before that was yeah so, so. Um well, when I finished Songs of Blood and Sword mm. and was in that limbo period right. until it was published. Right. Um I started writing this actually. Right. I had no experience with fiction. I had no idea yeah. how to do anything. It was totally different than what I was used to. Um and I started writing it and I somewhere in the middle signed on to write a book on Karachi. I was sort of unsure, you know, I didn't know should I do this, should I not. Should I? And then I was asked, would you do this book on Karachi? And I said, okay, yes. So I was supposed to be writing a, a non-fiction right. book on Karachi, but actually secretly I was writing this right, 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 right. all the time. I was working on the Karachi book, but I would write and then, you know, get rid of it and then write more and then just bin it and right. and it, after a year I realized actually what I really wanted to do was the novel. But you hadn't been, I mean it wasn't something you always wanted to do say when you were little or something or uh, Why well, love yeah. obviously fiction, fiction and right. I'm a big reader of fiction right. but I I never I, I don't know I'm not good at planning right. clearly right. from <laughs> from right. the poetry to the memoir to right. the fiction person right. so I hadn't planned it but it just happened and when it happened it felt it was a city book and I think it's almost impossible for people to write about their own cities yeah because city books are usually foreigners going into a city mm, and mm. what they find quirky and unusual you know we right. find upsetting or sad or, right, or right, frustrating right, of course, of course. so it was a strange experience having to write about a city that every day changes you set the you set the book in in some mirror leaves it's a sort of fictional sort of composite i don't want to say fictional but it might be a composite of, yes. of other, other other towns that you on the Pakistan Afghanistan border mm. um, quite a political choice to make mm. um, was there a particular reason why you wanted to set it there? And what was, uh, well, Mirali is actually a real town okay. in Waziristan, but right. obviously my version is heavily fictionalized, right. 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 As, right. as you say. Um, I wanted to set the book in the north. I mean, I traveled a lot around the north and around Pakistan, and, and there was something about that area that sort of mm. clung to me, that stuck to me. And so when I started writing, I, I just knew I wanted it to be there. But... Then the question was where to put it. Do you put it in Peshawar? Do you put it in Swat? Do you put it in Gilgit? But it's the, it's the story of a lot of these cities and I, I didn't want to make up a city. And it just so happens that my youngest brother is called Mirali. And it was like a little tribute to him as well, I guess. My mother adopted a baby 
so special to all of us. The idea that there's something you can do mm -hmm. in a novel with political mm -hmm. situations mm -hmm. that you've written a lot yeah. of journalism, you've done, you know, yeah. uh, I suppose you don't have that in mind when you're writing, or did you have that in mind in, when you were writing? The, the you, idea that, yeah. you do, I think, because yeah. with Pakistan, you know, the experience I had writing non-fiction was that everybody wants to know the same two things. Yeah. And they want to know it every week, and they want to know it in 600 words. You know, something bad happens and they come and say, oh gosh, we need to understand, why is this... Right. And you say the same things, well, it's, you know, corruption and it's lack of transparency and it's right. violence. And the next week something else happens and they come back, well, why, why is this happening? <laughs> Let's just focus on the positives. But when you tell people a story, there's their attention span, their imagination sort of so it allows you to say more. People are interested now because of the politics, perhaps. Uh, that, that might be why um, the novel is becoming a way to explore. I think the novel is also a really important way in going deeper into these issues, you know, and the novel allows you space to right. think about these things. But in, in countries like Pakistan, where you can't draw these sort of binary lines, the novel is, is really the only way in which you can speak about all these shades in between. And I mean, if you go into bookstores now, I feel you there's like rows and rows of, you know, explain it all yeah. political books. Don't allow for you to have any compassion. Um, so I think that's the reason why you have so many more fiction writers coming out. This is why people are turning to Pakistani novelists because you, especially ones who can bridge. I mean, do you find when you when you talk in in England, you find that there is that people find it difficult to make that that yes. leap, and they see Pakistan as. Uh, yes. I mean, is that something in your experience? Oh, constantly. Actually, there's a sort of inherent racism one feels when you go abroad, right. when it comes to Pakistan, because their view and their idea of the country or its people is already so mm. tarnished. Right that just to speak to you, they have to go through all kinds of like right. cobwebs and leaps in their mind to understand how you could be from such a place. Right. Like, but you're like me and yeah. you, don't, you, know, you sound normal. Yeah. You know. So it is difficult. And I, that was my experience, at least with nonfiction. I don't know if that leap is still difficult for people to make. The book um, maybe reflective of, of mm -hmm. um, the situation in Pakistan where you think about it as a mm -hmm. patriarchal male-dominated society mm -hmm. and yet well, I started, when I started, in my mind, this was a story about three brothers. Right. And somehow, I don't really know how, and this is the same in real life, these two women took it over. And I think they reflect, at least for me, very much Pakistani women, right. um, who are in outside Pakistan, the imagination of them is that they are peripheral, they are right. secondary, they can, you know, separated and kept in the shadows. Um, but actually, they are, they are immense forces. And... They are, if Pakistan is a resilient country, which it is, its women really would be the, f the forerunners of that resilience. Um, I'm, all the women I know in Pakistan, they're not quiet, subservient. Mm. They may appear so, <laughs> right, 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 right. but, you know, they right. create their own spaces somehow. Okay. But did you, did you um, feel connected to this? I mean, in bits, um, was, some of that, was some of this personal? Did some of that seep in or, I mean, is that unconscious? I think it's no. unconscious. I mean, I don't, you know, I know there are people who ascribe to the view that observation is unneutral. But the personal stuff does seep in. I mean, they happen unconsciously. They weren't planned. I don't know. There's some kind of magical thinking, I feel, with fiction writing. Right. But was research something that you had to do quite a lot of for this? Or? I um, guess I'm asking about travel in the region. I mean, you were saying exactly, that you yeah. traveled. Yeah, yeah. I, when, I, when I finished college, when I came back to Pakistan, I studied writing for a newspaper. And I had a column in a newspaper. And I traveled extensively 
for it. So I, w- so I would travel and I was lucky in that I, I could reach places or I, I could manage to get there. I went all across Sindh, I went to Balochistan, I went to north of course. And because of my, um, my parents and their work I had anyways travelled. Were you writing it in Karachi or were you writing it...? I wrote in three parts and I began it in Karachi in 2010. And I wrote the second part while I was sort of traveling, while I was on the book tour. Right. I had like pockets of time. And then I finished it in Karachi. Oh, Karachi for me is a very peaceful place to work. I don't, I don't know if I need to be there or I like, mm-hmm. I like to be there when, right. I'm, when I'm writing. Right. All right. the things that sometimes upset me or were difficult to deal with. The novel was a, a sort of refuge. And was it also a refuge from saying maybe some of the expected things that... No, not really, because yeah. I've never... I mean, in my mind, I've never actually wanted to get involved at all with politics. Right. It's the outside that always has this impression or so the suggestion right. or the something. But I've kind of always just done what I wanted to do or right. what I wanted to say and, and known that that was as far as it would go to what actually what I'm interested in, which is the people rather than right. the big... People would say that... You come from a particular mm. class, particular background, particular mm. level of privilege. Mm. Um, how do you find that connection to, mm. say, ordinary people? I was lucky, A, in that I spent my childhood outside. I mean, yeah. so I had a very ordinary childhood. I didn't have any notion right. of privilege or because I was in exile so in Syria. So I was doubly lucky to have the parents I did, actually, because we... Um, because the places we went, the people we saw, the travels we made were always yeah. elsewhere. They weren't to capitals and to these sort of drawing rooms and boardrooms. They were to small villages, little shrines in a small village. And so we were raised that way. So, you know, we never thought anything to get up and say, I'm going to go to Bicha tomorrow and I'd right. like to go there for the Kowali evening and right. see you later. And actually, right. when you grow up in, right. in, an, in an exile, uh, to belong is is an uncomfortable idea. Because what does it mean for you to belong? Does it mean you have to give in something? Does it mean you have to let go of something? Is it easier in some ways for you to feel connected to Pakistan or do you still feel that distance? I always feel like an outsider. Um, And I think one of the hallmarks of, as you say, exile or... Mm. You don't feel at home anywhere because it's not your home. But when you go home, you don't feel at home either. Right. You're, not, you're not at home anywhere and you're also at home everywhere. Right. And you also learn how to see different places. So, you know, Damascus yeah. was my country. Damascus right. was my place. It was the place right. I felt safe. Right. Um, Pakistan then was my father's country. Yeah. It, was, it was the place where um, I lost my father. But it was also the place where I, I, I learned how to be something else, right. where I learned how to live in a different way, where I learned how to think differently. And I wouldn't say it's the place where I learned how to be strong or anything like that, but it forced it of you. Moments, And I think for me, actually, a lot of that is in the book, this idea of belonging and not belonging. Well, back to our very own capital. This city reflects the development of India. Swanky malls, tall buildings and flyovers can be seen everywhere. But this development is defined by removing what existed before. Amidst all this, is an urban village bringing in new definition of development, 
coexistence of the urban and rural. Shahpur Jhat is a village in South Delhi. Because of its low rents, many designers came here and set up their workshops. Soon came shops and cafes. The village did not change its original character and it led to formation of a community with amalgamation of the rural and urban. But still many people of this city are not aware of it, tells Vivita Rilan of Potbelly Cafe and the Whistling Chair. Well, see, Shapurjat's always been like the poor stepsister of like Hoskas village, and I guess Shapurjat, because even though it's so centrally located, somehow it just didn't get the kind of publicity. It was very low key, so there were there weren't many footfalls, and the footfalls that would come in would there, it would be a lot of people who were looking for their wedding trousseaus and stuff, all sorts of from you know filmmakers to musicians to graphic designers to you know curators. you know western fashion um chefs that have their you know restaurants all sorts of people here that are doing something different because if you go to a mall i mean you have a great experience in the sense that it's ac and stuff but it's also the kind of stuff you can see anywhere else in the world to make delhi aware of shahpur jhat and its diversity a small festival was organized by the shop owners it was called shahpur jhat revisited it was organized by the whistling chair the second floor studio leela Olivia Jar, Alekha Karano and Leperenie. It had music, food, puppetry, book reading sessions and fun. Puneet Jasuja of Second Floor Studio explains that this festival will make people aware of Shahpur Jhat. I think the important of the fest is for two things. One was to show that Shahpur Jhat was a place and a destination to spend some time, but I also think that's really important that what we've accomplished is is that In India, oftentimes it gets hard to get communities to get together and participate as a group for the wellness of the better being of the entire group. They didn't they lack awareness that there's actually a number of shops here and young designers who are producing really amazing work. And how will a festival like this benefit Shahpur Jhat? Answers Shruti Narayan of Leela. बहुत सारे लोगों को शाहपुर जाट के बारे में पता नहीं है तो हम चाहते हैं कि हम जितने ज्यादा लोगों को शाहपुर जाट के बारे में बता सके सो इस फेस्टिवल के पीछे ये हमारा मेन पर्पस है कि हम सिर्फ लोगों को यहाँ पे शॉपिंग के नहीं लाए तो हमारे हर स्टोर ने कुछ स्पेशल करा है सो द आइडिया इज दैट पीपल शुड कम टू शाहपुर जाट फॉर अ डेस्टिनेशन एंड नॉट ओनली शॉपिंग बट दिस इज अ वे टू शो दैम हाउ अ कम्युनिटी लाइक एन अर्बन विलेज लिवस I feel there are lots of different villages. I mean, urban villages in Delhi. But what makes Shahpur Jhat special is that one, its location. It's located in in South Delhi and surrounded by very different communities. There's a DDA flat on one side. There's Panchil on one side. There is Hoskas village on one side. Plus, within the village, there is a Jhat community, which is sort of the original owners, and they still very much live here. and how does this contrast of rural and urban work for the designers here you can have all the elements in place as a single business but you cannot cannot be successful if you don't have a community and the community is not only other businesses it's also the local people the local um, the the chaiwalas the landlords everybody the councilor the political all working together to make it happen a, a success needs a community in balance and i think shahpurjat has that the locals have been very accepting not only indians but many foreigners have come here and opened designer studios and cafes fashion designer olivia dar who belongs to france has set up her studio here and one can see indian influence in her work 
Well, I came 15 years ago and I came because uh, I just wanted a different life and different experience. So that's why I ended up in India and liked it and I could do my, I could design and do my, uh, my develop my craft here with all the craftsmanship and all the Cadigar. Take classic French pieces and I work them with Indian techniques and colors and materials. So what makes this place special? For Catherine of Le Perinier, this place has a soul. It has a soul. You know, I mean, people think that if they want to have a kind of city soul, they have to go to Old Delhi today to have this. It's not true. You don't need to go until Old Delhi or Sadar Bazar. You can still have the soul of Delhi inside New Delhi, like places like Chapochat. This is one of the very last places in Delhi where you can just drop your car and walk for two hours, go into these small lanes and discover new shop, new cafe, new places. It's like Paris, you know. So what does future hold for Shapurjat? For Shruti Narayan of Leela, this place is already what it should be. What I feel is it should be what it is right now. I don't, I don't think that there is much to change in Shapurjat. All the components are there. But you know, as young businesses, we want people to come. Like at the end of the day, we all are young entrepreneurs. And the whole idea is that we want people to, we, we need to have enough footfalls that we can all become sustainable businesses and give back to our community here. Well, you must go to Shapurjat village and explore its gullies and diversity and see how an urban village truly is. Till then, it's a goodbye from us at the Helka. Take care.